Sleep, Fatigue and Human Factors. Episode 70 of the Inspired Energy Podcast with Murray Guest. And in this episode, I'm catching up with Dr. Kirsty McCulloch to talk about these exact topics. Kirsty is a sleep expert and she's studied sleep for many years. And I love catching up with Kirsty to hear about the impact when we don't get enough sleep and what it means when we do get the right amount of sleep. We also talk about fatigue and what that means in not just heavy industry and not just some of those areas like mining or construction, but in all industries, all types of work and all people. We also explore human factors and these are all those factors that influence our choices and our ways of working day in, day out. I've known Kirsty for a few years and she is such a knowledgeable person when it comes to these topics and it was great to have her on the podcast as we explore these critical things of course right now in 2020 these are important topics we need to be getting enough sleep looking after ourselves looking after our health and as leaders making sure that we are creating cultures and environments where people can be at their best so i hope you enjoy this chat with kirsty as much as i did with episode 70 kirsty mcculloch Hey, Kirsty, welcome to the podcast. I'm so looking forward to catching up with you. How have you been? Yeah, great. Thanks, Murray. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm, um, I'm actually in a place of gratitude and renewed perspective after these past few months. Certainly, it's been a challenge for lots of people. And you and I were quickly talking before we started our chat about uh, you know, what's been going on in the world. But I feel like I've got a renewed perspective on some of those little things in life. And um, I'm really loving the clients I'm working with at the moment. What have you been up to? So the the whole um, COVID situation has been different for me. So I've got two very young children. So originally up front, of course, I had a lot more contact with them than I'm used to, which put a whole lot of different perspective on what's important, where I'm spending my time. Um, But also made me a bit quieter with work as well. So changed my perspectives on that. So that's um, been quite liberating to be able to explore that and what that means for me um, and coming out the other side of it. What does that look like now too? That's all getting busier again, which is great. Yeah, it is a funny time right now where there's, you know, different countries in lockdown, different requirements for things we can and can't do. I also think the appetite for learning has been changed quite a bit around online learning um, and what that looks like going forward. Um, And in your space, around risk management, human factors. Oh, wow. There's just so much we could talk about to do with that right now. Yeah, it's huge. And companies' perspectives on it has, is changing weekly, um, which is great, with increased focus on individuals especially. So we're going to get into this conversation <laughs> about <laughs> fatigue risk management and human factors and those things that I know you for, that you're so passionate about. Um, but what I'd love to know is how did you get to be in this field in the first place? It was something that I fell into. So I studied psychology at university. I finished high school and saw Silence of the Lambs and thought, gee, that's a cool movie. And I'd love to be like Jodie Foster and, <laughs> you know, talk to some criminals and understand what, how they became criminals and get into all that stuff. This is way before CSI became really hot or anything like that. Um, mm. Can so, I just say there's only two movies that have given me nightmares and one of them Silence of the Lambs. So What was the other one? 
Uh, it was Cape Fear with Robert De Niro, and he was just—it was a remake, and he was in, and he was stalking this family. It was just, yeah, put me on edge. Yeah, Silence of the Lambs and Misery for me with my uh, teeth. Yeah. Um, anyway, so so wanted to be a forensic psychologist, and then as I finished my degree, two things happened. One, I realised we didn't have that many serial killers in Australia to make a huge career out of, and two, I was a bit of a speedster in my youth, so I had too many speeding fines to get into the police force. Uh which was the only really way to kickstart a career in forensics. So um, I thought, well, we'll need to find something else. Luckily, I had really good grades. So I got offered a scholarship to study sleep. Um, and I thought, well, what else am I going to do? I don't want to be a clinical psychologist. That much was clear. Um, so I went and studied sleep in a sleep laboratory, literally wiring people up and watching them sleep and what happens when they do sleep and what happens when they don't sleep. Um, did some alcohol comparison studies, which were quite interesting, seeing what happens when people get drunk compared to tired. Um, and that was fun, but it wasn't where my passion was. So I said to my professor at the time, you know, I really, really um, get, lo love doing this, but I don't want to make a career out of it. So see you later. And I'm going to explore other options. And he said, well, how about we get you out into industry? And so he got me out into aviation, um, looking at pilots and what happens to them in the real world setting when they get tired. What sort of mistakes do they make? Um, so I got to go up in, you know, big airliners, looking at actual mistakes that people were making that were quite frightening. Got to get up on hot air balloons who, you know, get up at the crack of dawn to get these balloons ready for pre-dawn flights. And what sort of mistakes do they actually make? And, you know, fuel, fueling errors and stuff that's happening. Um, that's, that's life or death situations. So that was exciting to be out in and something I could see I could make a real difference in. So that's how I got passionate about fatigue and launched my career into what sort of mistakes do people make when they're tired and then human factors more generally, what, what sort of mistakes do people make in the workforce and how can we stop them? Um, <clears throat> can I ask, when you got into that work, did it change your perspective around risk and what you would do and not do in life? Uh, it certainly made me commit to getting a good night's sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I am an early to bed and early to rise kind of girl, but I prioritise sleep over everything else probably. Yeah. Um, I, I admit I'm older than you. I know that. And I'm also later to learning about the benefits of sleep. Yeah. And I totally, totally can see the difference it's made in my life. And it's, it's interesting. I remember still being at the gym um, a couple of years ago and there's a guy that had this body that I was like, hey, I want to look like you, mate. Yeah. And I said, so what do I need to do to, you know, what tips would you give me? And one of the key things he said to me is make sure you get your sleep. Mm. It was sleep, stretch and eat appropriately. There was no exercise. It was all about sleep. Yeah, right. Yeah, we're, we're just not taught about sleep when we grow up, are we? We're taught all about what to eat. We know about the food pyramid. We're taught about exercise, of course, because we're all forced to do it. I hated exercise at school. I, I love it now, but hated it at school. So forced to do all this stuff and we know all about it, but we don't get taught about sleep at school. Mm, true. No, no, you're right. Not Well, and I also don't, I, I would have never had a conversation with my parents. I don't think most people do about sleep. It's like go to bed and that's it type of thing. And, and even not how do you get to sleep when you go to bed either. Um, you did mention over the years, you've seen some interesting, I guess, errors people have made um, early on when you saw those, what type of errors did you see that you're okay to share that you went, oh, wow, this is just something that needs looking at? So simple things like putting in the wrong altitude, missing a decimal place off of an altitude on an aircraft. Um, so they're flying, you know, magnitudes lower or higher than what they're expecting. 
um, I saw, I saw practices in truck drivers where truck drivers would literally put Velcro on the back of their hats and align it with a piece of Velcro on the back of their seat so their, their um, heads would stay upright when they fall asleep when they're driving. Wow. Um, yeah. So I've seen some pretty, <laughs> some pretty interesting solutions to, to get around the sleep issue too. Um, mm. And um, over the years, you've worked in a range of different areas um, and in different industries. What's been the impact when people start to have a greater awareness around sleep? What, like you and I can talk from a personal level, but what does it really mean when there's this focus on sleep? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, one of my first experiences, I was working with a company that had a whole lot of um, typically ego-driven professions involved. So um, doc, we're talking doctors, we're talking pilots um, and nurses as well. Um, and there are a lot of egos. There was a lot of uh, clashes within this culture. And then all of a sudden we implemented a fatigue procedure, which asked, which made them look at, start to look out for each other. This was way before are you okay and stuff was in place. Yeah. Um, but it made them start to look at each other. And if they were tired, which they always were, because let's face it, doctors and pilots and nurses work around the clock and they, they live to serve their profession. They started asking each other, are are you too tired to do this? Or you look tired, um, how are you feeling? Can I help in any way? What sort of control should we put in place? It started to implement that are you okay culture and started to actually open them up a lot more. Um, and that was one of my first real wins and um, in this job, in this profession to say, we can really change cultures by getting people to look out for each other more and actually looking out for the core values of, you know, are you getting enough sleep? And why not? And what, what impact is that having not only on your health, but on the health of everyone that you're serving as well? Yeah. And I think about when someone's asking that question of a peer or a team member or someone that they, they're leading, it's creating trust, it's creating um, vulnerability, it's creating connection, it's creating all these elements of an engaged culture. Indeed. Yeah. Um, when you see that sort of start to happen, and you're starting to see that sort of play out. How do how do you think it, you know, stays in place? Because obviously, in our world, consultants we have our part to play, and quite often we're not there to see it in its uh, mm. fruition. How does it continue? Do you reckon? Uh, so I've seen a lot of companies that I've worked with, and everyone's gotten very excited after the training that you know you roll out. Everyone's like, "Yeah, I'm going to make these changes, and I'm going to roll it out to my kids and my husband, and we're all going to sleep really, really well." Um, they write these awesome policies and procedures, um, some of them way too long, um, mm. <laughs> some of them some of them not long at all, and they sit on shelves and they collect dust just like many other safety systems. Um, so you're right, a lot, of, a lot of companies do this stuff, get a lot of energy around it, and then they just don't sustain it. Um, it's only in the companies that I've seen that have established well-being programs where they where they actually have this programmed in on an annual basis to talk about. It doesn't have to be with a consultant, but they just have an awareness period every month where they're talking about fatigue and other wellness issues um, just to maintain a sense of focus. So they revisit it and they might send out, um, you know, resources like there's some, there's some really good web-based talks. There's some really good free resources that they can share around. So just having that, systemized scheduled process to, to maintain that works really well. Yeah. Um, and 
I know that you've worked not just in heavy industry and not just, you know, uh, aviation or construction. When we talk about sleep, who does it not apply to? Applies to absolutely everyone. <laughs> Um, and increasingly, so actually all of my jobs at the moment are white collar workers um, and more and more so for their families as well, because companies are realising that if families are not working harmoniously behind the background, it's impacting on their workers. Mm. I, I still remember I was working with a site a few years back and there was a number of guys that had young um, children or babies, basically, and they were having trouble sleeping and they were turning up each day overtired and then with that overtiredness also became grumpiness yeah uh, with their fellow teammates and we did a toolbox talk on how to get your children to sleep here's some ways to help with that and and i still remember the impact that made because i think you're so spot on it's not just about that individual and to be honest even covid19 this past few months has shown or highlighted that people have lives that are much more complex than just, you know, home and work. There's all these other elements. Yep. Even things as simple as teaching people how to sleep. So many people say they can't sleep or they don't know how to sleep or, or they, they just, for whatever reason, won't sleep. Um, and teaching people the importance of it and telling them how to and helping them to get around the obstacles that might be blocking them has a huge impact on company revenue. That's on safety and on overall health as well. Um, and, and that presenteeism, so showing up for work and that you, doesn't matter what your job is, I can imagine that you are there physically, mentally, emotionally to do the work ahead of you. Yeah, we've all experienced that, haven't we? Staring at the computer screen and nothing comes out and you think, oh God, what did I do today? And that's growing increasingly in awareness in companies too. Mm. So if there was your top sleep tips, so if, I can imagine if you're at a barbecue and someone says, what do you do? And you said sleep and they're like, so tell me, what are the best tips? Yep. What do you tell people? So dark, quiet room. Make sure your room's as dark and as quiet as possible. Um, turn off your phone within half an hour of going to bed and don't fall asleep in front of the TV. So you remove all technology within half an hour of going to bed because uh, that completely changes your sleep structure. Avoid caffeine within four hours of bed. Mm -hmm. Even if you can fall asleep with caffeine in your system, like a shot of coffee before you go to bed, it still has a huge impact on your sleep. And so does alcohol. Um, and even sleeping tablets, they have a huge impact on your sleep quality too. So avoid them as much as possible. They'd be the top four. Can I add one that's worked well for me? Go for it. So I've really... Sex, you're say sex. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, I think sex is good for lots of reasons, of course. <laughs> it, do, it does help you fall asleep. <laughs> it does help you fall asleep. It's good for immunity, for, for connection, you know, a whole <laughs> range of things. Um, no, it's actually music. I'm a big, um, a big advocate for using Insight Timer is the app that I use and it plays, I use different sleep music. So not guided visualizations, but just some music. And I reckon I've even trained my brain when I hear certain music, I'll just switch off and get into some really good deep sleep. Yeah, that works tremendously well. Um, especially if you're using sleep based music and not the nightclub style music <laughs> but we know with kids as well you can train kids to fall asleep to a certain song um so your brain reacts to all these triggers if you use it routinely you can train your brain to hear something um and hear a tune a song or a type of tune or song and your brain automatically knows right at sleep time so of course that's what it's going to do it's interesting because when i had my accident i that's about 18 months ago and I was in hospital in the neck brace and I would listen to 
some tracks to help me really sort of tune out and deal with, you know, all mm. the bits that were going on then. I accidentally put one of those ones on a couple of months ago and I felt this recoil in my body of like, no, not that song, not that song. Not that's funny. not, yeah. That, yeah, that's not the one I needed. Because um, I'd still, you know, train my brain back to those moments. Yeah. Uh, my youngest, who's 11, he does listen to rain sounds every night before he goes to sleep and that helps him fall asleep. Yeah, okay, great. And I think if you're a parent and you're having trouble with your children, I think that's a real, you know, there's ambient music and different music out there. That's all free. That can really help to get them to relax and, as you said, train their brain. Yeah, yeah. All those sleep associations are great. Mm. Um, you mentioned sleep and alcohol and that sort of connection just then. But at the start of our conversation, you mentioned or you alluded to the correlation or I guess some of that similarity between blood alcohol content and you know, when we are tired. Yeah. What do you know about that? What can you share about that? So this has been, this research has been really important for political lobbying to say, you know, we've all well accepted for a long time now that it's not okay to drink and drive and pull, pull up your mates if they try and drink and drive, take away their car keys. Um, but from a political lobbying perspective, we started to do experiments comparing how people react when they're tired versus how they react when they're drunk. So we could actually say, look, this is as important as driving drunk. So uh, when I very first started out in this industry, we were doing experiments comparing that. And these studies have been done hundreds of times around the world now too. So we know without a, without a doubt that um, when you've been awake for about 18 hours, your performance is comparable to having a BAC of 0.05, which is the legal driving limit. So 18 hours awake is not very long. It's kind of getting up at 6am and then getting home after a nice dinner at midnight. That's 18 hours awake, 0.05. If you add a few drinks onto that, then your performance is going to be even worse. If you've been awake for 24 hours, which lots of shift workers do, they'll get up to do school, drop off, be awake during the day, go to their first night shift and then drive home. 24 hours awake is not unreasonable for shift workers. Mm. Um, performance is worse than having a BAC of 0.1. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And... I unfortunately, and I'm sure you have over the years heard about people coming home from night work and, you know, getting s very close to home and having those accidents, having yeah. micro sleeps. And um, so, and I know that what you're sort of starting to think of, what do that you do, sorry, is in working with organisations also, how are our shift patterns structured? How are we getting people to and from work? How does that look so that it's actually supporting um, their well, overall wellbeing? Yeah, that's right. And so driving is probably the biggest risk, risk that any ship worker faces um, from a life and death perspective anyway. Then they're likely to make a whole lot of mistakes during their shift as well. Um, but you're right, how, how, how we set those ships up, how we support our workers to say, actually, I'm too tired to drive. So do we give them cab vouchers home if they've worked overtime, for example? Um, there's a whole lot of consideration that can go into that. Yeah, and I think, um, and you sort of mentioned this before too, it's not just the employee and their uh, company that they work for, but also um, I can imagine family members and let's say if someone is working in uh, an environment like that and they're working long hours, how will their partner know the importance of sleep and they're supporting each other to get that sleep as well when they get home? Yeah, that's right. A lot of shift workers get home after a night and then they get their list of things to do during the day. <laughs> mm, mm. And yeah, they, they don't really prioritise sleep at all. Mm. so something we also spoke about earlier was about human factors what's mm. your your overall short description of when we say human factors what do we really mean 
Imifactors um, has really piqued my curiosity because everyone wants to blame something when things go wrong. So we're trained and programmed to do this from such an early age. Um, and, and I do it myself. When, when something goes wrong here, something gets dropped, something gets smashed, especially if it's something of mine, first thing I want to know is who did it um, and what are they going to do about it and kind of want to tell them off. That's my automatic reaction, even as a human factors person. Um, so human factors is understanding that we all make mistakes and we're all programmed to be lazy. <laughs> so, so we're all programmed to conserve energy and do things in the easiest way possible. And we're creative individuals. So if we can find a way to do that, we'll do it. So knowing that's our nature, that we all make mistakes and we're all programmed to do things in the easiest way possible, um, it's totally acceptable for people to break rules and to expect that to happen. So as companies, we need to try and preempt that and work out how can we make this doable in the safest way possible. Um, not judging or blaming people unnecessarily. There are certainly times where you do, but um, trying to understand why was that done and how was that done rather than jump to blame to start off with so that we can prevent things more systemically. Yeah, and I think you raise a point there. There is a difference around the conscious choice and the subconscious actions. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can give you a, a major list of the times I've made mistakes. Um, but we don't have time for all that right now. But I know <laughs> rushing is is that human factor that's tripped me up quite a lot. Yeah, rushing, being a slightly foggy, having multiple things on your brain. So, you know, you're trying to just keep things, like t 10 things present in your mind um, so that you can jump straight into the next thing as soon as you're finished. It's another big one as well. So if if someone's a leader of a team or a business and how do they actually start to even implement something like human factors? How do they even start to consider it's okay for people to make mistakes and errors? It's really, really tough, especially when you start to talk about, um, you know, potentially life-threatening incidents or incidents that have cost a lot of money from a, from an infrastructure perspective. So people have, you know, cost, you know, sunk a multi-million dollar plane or something. Mm. Um, it's really, really tough, but, um, but when you start to analyze incidents on whole, so, so mostly companies will come to me and say, look, we've had a lot of, um, I've just had one today, we've had a lot of crush injuries where body parts have been crushed in plant. There's a whole lot of different types of plant, but we're having a lot of these injuries. So then when we look back and we look at um, why they're happening, the rules are being broken. Well, why are those rules being broken? Well, they were written 20 years ago. They haven't been addressed. Um, staff aren't trained in them. There's a whole lot of, reasons why people are breaking those rules um not to mention it's so hard to follow them and be compliant yeah. um, it takes half the time so of course of course there's going to be workarounds so the next step then is to say okay well rather than getting them to keep on breaking the rules let's come up with better rules it's actually going to be safe for them to do it and let's involve them in doing it um and of course the only way that companies get engagement in that is if their employees are involved and if they're blaming them and firing them for making, you know, for, for not doing the right thing, then they're not going to get that level of engagement. So it takes a little bit of time, but normally there's um, some good traction behind them and some good evidence that they need to do something before they engage. Yeah. And I think about um, the experiences that people have had over the years where they've started to create that sort of emotional frame around how they, they feel about the work they do and how important helping them reframe what's going on in their, in their working life so that yep. they are, are going to embrace it and feel like they're not going to be blamed. 
yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that's all, it's all baby steps, you know, so somebody gives a little bit of trust. It's about this vulnerability word again that you used before, Murray. Mm. Somebody gives a little bit of trust and then if that's not broken, they'll give a little bit more the next time. And if that's not broken, they'll give a little bit more. So it just builds and builds and builds as the culture develops. So when did human factors as a concept start? I, I wish I knew the top of my head. I just can't think right now. It was in the 1980s, the guy called Trevor Kletz. Okay. Um, and James Reason in the 90s um, mm. really, really founded it on human error, um, understanding why people make mistakes um, and also understanding how to fix that. So if people are actually unintentionally doing the wrong thing, making mistakes, retraining them is not going to fix it because they're not consciously doing it. So yep. you're t telling them to do the right thing or be more careful actually doesn't work if they're unintentionally doing it. So, um, so these practitioners started to talk around, well, how can we better treat that with like memory triggers or um you know engineering solutions so that people physically can't get it wrong yeah and i think you raised a really good point before too about how do we create a system or a process that makes it easy to succeed like where it's not easy to to not follow because it's so bloody you know complex that's right mm. yep what's what's the if we look future way what do you think the future holds for human factors and this sort of understanding of we actually do lead people? We actually do have people doing the work. Yeah, I think it will be, we've seen it start to emerge in a lot of industries like space aviation and medicine where systems are much, much better designed, um, relying less on human intuition and more on systems to actually managing. So it's easy to interact and intuitive to interact. Even the way that we use phones now is intuitive. My one-year-old, when she was only one, started to pick up my iPhone and use it because it's just so intuitive and easy to operate now with minimal scope for error. There's not much you can do to stuff up a phone these days. Mm. Um, when they were first introduced, you could easily delete things and wipe things um, and it was hard to use anything. So the better we get with systems and engineering, I think the less scope for human error there'll be. Yeah. Yep. Um, but also relying on individuals to be part of those solutions rather than coming up with, you know, engineers that have never touched an airplane to design an airplane, for example. Um, you know, that, that will become less and less of a an occurrence. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Um, again, I I hope and I get the feeling that through this pandemic for the last three months it has again highlighted the importance of empowering people, trusting people, consulting them. Mm -hmm. um, we've had the biggest, you know, working from home ex experiment ever. And guess what? Lots of people have been delivering, if not the same amount of work, but more in lots of cases as well. Yeah, people are saying they're way more efficient in their meetings. They jump to the point a lot quicker. Um, and they're using the technology that's been at their fingertips for years now but they've been forced to use it and now they've embraced it so it's this whole resistance to change thing that, that yeah. none of us want to do it if you know if it's new but as soon as we have to we can learn to love it yeah totally agree um now you've recently had another baby can mm. we talk about your baby well she's two years old now she's turning two next week so I'm, she's not that I'm recent. talking i'm talking about the recent one. Oh, the even more recent one your gosh yes yes, yes. <laughs> so that would be um that would be a fatigue app that takes fatigue management off the shelves and puts it into a real living, breathing beast. Yes. And, and I say that because I know launching an app or releasing a book, um, it's, it's that birthing process. 
Yeah, indeed. Indeed. I've been working on it for several years now, getting all the algorithms right and testing it. So um, in conjunction with a company called OzHealth, who's a really big fitness for duty uh, company, they do a lot of drug and alcohol testing and general employee wellness. So in conjunction with them, I've developed this app called Awaken. So it's a fatigue app. Um, and it gets, comp- it gets individuals to measure how much they've worked and how much they've slept, just using a Fitbit. So it pairs with a Fitbit um, and it will be paired with other devices going forward. Um, basically to tell you just how tired you are or how likely you are to get to, to make fatigue related mistakes. So for shift workers or people that are on call, um, I do a lot of work in the water industry where people are called out left, right and centre. So you can imagine if something goes wrong with a water main, you want water at your house when you wake up in the morning so you can have a nice warm shower. So that has to be fixed immediately. Mm. These workers run in very lean teams, so they're called out at all hours of the day to fix water leaks and respond to things. Um, power industry is exactly the same. Um, but for any workers that do these ad hoc call outs, we want to make sure that they're fit and safe to do the work, especially if they're working with high risk, high pressure or high power tools and infrastructure. So this app can um, track how they're going, let their supervisors know how they're going as well, and just make sure that everyone's actually tracking on a day-to-day basis. So you said before, how do companies keep this alive? And I said, well, they can refresh it every year just through awareness, but this is another way to keep it alive um, by actively monitoring on an individual and also a supervisor basis, how people are tracking with fatigue on a daily basis. Yeah. Well, congratulations on getting the app out. And as you said, it's been years in the making and there's all of that work in the background, the algorithms to make it work. Um, so tell me if I'm a, a part of a team, I'm getting the, the mains on in the middle of the night and do I get an alert or does it tell me some way to be mindful, to watch out, to, to get some sleep? What does it do? Yeah. So as soon as you tick over into a moderate or a high risk zone, you'll just get a push notification to your phone so you won't have huge alarm bells that startle you out of the concentration of what you're doing but it will just give you a notification on your phone to say look you're in a moderate zone you probably need to think about your risk or you're in a high risk red zone and you should probably think about stopping work very soon yeah Uh, similarly if you're in a high risk zone it can alert your supervisor to say look murray's really tired he's worked 24 hours straight and he's probably only had two hours sleep um so you should probably check in on him and, mm. and just make sure that he's thinking about going home soon or there's other controls in place. And I can imagine that's a powerful tool to support leaders where they don't have that direct line of sight with their leadership, with their team. Yeah, well, very few out, very few companies track actual work hours. Very, very few, which is surprising given the legal liabilities around actually managing it. Mm. Um, so very, very few companies even know when or where their employees were working. So this is a really good way to track that as well. Um, every company that I've ever worked with where we've done reviews on rosters and working hours it takes it's so much effort to gather examples of actual work hours because companies just don't keep it or track it and they rely on individuals to say how much they've done in a month for overtime purposes only yeah 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 Mm. Um, well fantastic and again back to some of your earlier points around sleep and fatigue this app I assume is not uh, suitable for just heavy industry could be suitable for any industry yeah we've got a council um just a local city council using it at the moment to track their workers sleep and fatigue um so yeah and anyone can use it um 
for individual purposes or for company purposes alone. Some, some companies are just using it to raise awareness. So they'll only use it for a month out of every year during their awareness month. Um, some researchers are using it to compare different rosters. So to say, you know, this team A is using a roster, team B is using a different roster. What do they look like? Um, how does overtime rate on one versus the other? How do people sleep on one versus the other? If we swap them around, how do the teams interact? So you can use it quite scientifically as well to get some data-driven decisions made within your companies. Yeah, fantastic. And I'll make sure that there's links to the app in the show notes so people Thank can you. check it out and, um, and see how it can support them and their team in you know, managing their fatigue. Yeah, it's exciting to get it out there. I bet. I bet it has been. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So well done. Awesome work. Thank you. It's been so good chatting with you and connecting and talking about um, the work that you do. Uh, I know that there's a real impact on what you do through the companies that you partner with around the health, the well-being, and of course, the safety and productivity. So um, thank you for the chance to talk through all this with you. Thanks, Murray. I appreciate you inviting me. That's okay. Now, I wouldn't let you get away without you sharing your definition of inspired energy, which is something that everyone shares on the podcast. So what is your definition of inspired energy? I think this changes every time you ask me, but my definition <laughs> today <laughs> is, is finding something you're passionate about and creatively pursuing excellence nonstop so that you can deliver those learnings um, to, everyone that you, to everyone you touch. You know what? I think I might take that definition and put that on the website. That was beautiful. I like that one. Thank you. <laughs> I'll try and no. remember it for next time. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. That was very good. Thank you. Um, again, thank you so much. It's been great chatting, connecting. Um, where is the best place for people to find you online? On my LinkedIn page. Yeah. And I've got... It, is, is that easy for people to find? That's easy. I'll make sure there's a, a link to your LinkedIn page um, in our show notes as well. That would be it. Yeah, that, that would be it. I'm that's, not very tech savvy. <laughs> that, that's fine. We'll make sure that's there. Um, great chatting to you today again. And if anyone got something out of uh, today's session, please share it on social media um, and or, or let me know. And also check out the Awaken Fatigue app as well. Uh, thanks again, Kirsty, so much. Fabulous. Thanks, Murray. See ya. Bye.